Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Yan Jiagan, the father of the new Taiwan dollar. About a year ago, I met a Taipei taxi driver who told me that he had previously served in the military for seven years. Curious, I asked more about his service. He said he was in the special forces for four years, and then was a presidential bodyguard for three years. Which president? I asked. He replied with the name of the largely and perhaps unfairly forgotten president of the Republic of China, known to most now as Taiwan. He said, "Yan Jiagan." Yan Jiagan is a kind of forgotten president because he served during the interregnum between the death of Chiang Kai-shek and the accession of his son Jiang Jingguo. Taiwan at this time was not a democracy, and the presidency was expected to pass from father to son, as though it were a monarchy. But constitutionally, Yan Jiagan was vice president. At the time Chiang Kai-shek died in office in 1975, so he was left to serve out the remainder of Chiang Kai-shek's term before Jiang Jingguo would then take over. And even while he was nominally the president, Yan Jiagan typically deferred to Jiang Jingguo's wishes and policy choices. This is why. Yan Jiagan is often glossed over in the political history of Taiwan. He was considered a kind of seat warmer for the crown prince. Nonetheless, Yan Jiagan was actually an extremely important figure in the story of how Taiwan became what it is today. In particular, and this is what I want to focus on today, he was the father of the new Taiwan dollar. The currency still in use in Taiwan that anyone who has visited is surely familiar with. We'll get to that, but let's start from the beginning. Yan Jiagan was born in 1905 under the Qing Dynasty. He was born into a prominent family in the Suzhou area, the Yangtze Delta city, famed for its beauty. Of course, a few years after that, in 1911. The Republican Revolution overthrew the Qing Dynasty. In 1922, at only 17, he married his first wife in an arranged marriage, but she died the following year in childbirth. He married his second wife in 1924, and went on to have nine children with her. In 1926, he graduated from Shanghai's St. John's University, the American-founded institution that had become a leading university in Asia. In 1931, Yan Jiagan was appointed to a position in the Shanghai Railway, and in 1938, he was put in charge of economic development in the southeastern province of Fujian. 1938 was, of course, a year after Japan launched its invasion of China. 
So the chief challenge facing the provincial government of Fujian was the fact that its ports, where the imports would be entering, were now under enemy occupation. Another issue Yan Jiagan already dealt with, and this is a premonition for his future career, was hyperinflation. In the desperation of war, the government of the Republic of China printed money like drunken sailors to pay for whatever the government needed when it needed them. Obviously, that was hardly fiscal discipline, so inflation rose dramatically. In 1945, as the war was nearing its end, Yan Jiagan became head of purchasing at the Bureau of Wartime Productions, a department the ROC government specifically created to try to manage the wartime economy. Yan Jiagan was in charge of negotiating loans from the U.S. and Canada. In October 1945, the ROC government sent Yan Jiagan to Taiwan to lead the transportation department. On August 6th and 9th of that year, as you know, the U.S. had dropped atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and Japan announced its unconditional surrender on August 15th. In Taiwan, Japan formally signed its instrument of surrender on October 25th. So this was a period of transition in Taiwan. The Japanese colonial authorities were moving out, and the ROC officials were arriving on the scene to take over their functions. As of August and September 1945, though, Japan still controlled Taiwan's finances. In particular, Taiwanese banknotes were issued under the auspices of the Japanese colonial government and backed by that government's faith and credit. Four days after Japan announced its surrender to the Allies, on August 19th, 1945, it did a remarkable thing. It printed a hundred million Taiwan dollars worth of bills. At this time, the amount of currency in circulation in Taiwan was only 238 million Taiwan dollars. So Japan printed an additional 42% of the entire Taiwanese monetary supply. On September 9th, Japan flew the 100 million Taiwan dollars worth of bills to Taiwan. Japanese officials, money in hand, went shopping buying up as much food and other necessities to ship back to Japan. Japan itself was teetering on starvation at this point in the wake of the devastation of the war. So, on one level, it was perfectly understandable that the Japanese did this. But the predictable outcome in Taiwan was a sudden quantitative easing, as the kids call it nowadays leading to a spike in inflation. Soon thereafter, the Chinese civil war between the communists and the KMT heated up again in mainland China. The civil war contributed to hyperinflation on the mainland. As the Chinese and Taiwanese currencies became convertible to each other after the end of World War II, hyperinflation on the mainland 
further contributed to hyperinflation in Taiwan as well. Records show that a single egg cost 57 Taiwan dollars in June 1948. By June 1949, a single egg cost 7,100 Taiwan dollars, a 124-fold increase. In the first half of 1949, prices in Taiwan rose by 1,332%. Meanwhile, in 1946, Yin Jiakan became the finance chief of Taiwan's provincial government, as well as the governor of the Bank of Taiwan. In these positions, he became friendly with the Ling family of Wu Feng, one of the wealthiest and most prominent Taiwanese local families, a family whose patriarch had migrated to Taiwan from mainland China in 1746. But no doubt those familiar with Taiwanese history know what's about to happen. On February 28th, 1947, the so-called 228 incident took place. We're not doing a deep dive into that pivotal event right now, and many of you probably are already familiar with it. The very short version is that a popular protest against the government, partly fed by the growing economic discontent, led to the provincial governor, a man named Chen Yi, ordering his troops to fire on the protesters, killing many civilians. Chen Yi was, of course, Yan Jiagan's boss. In the popular backlash against the government, some Taiwanese considered Yan Jiagan, the finance guy, to be guilty along with the governor. To avoid threats against his person, Yan Jiagan stayed for a time with his new local friends, the Ling family of Wu Feng. After the immediate crisis of the 228 incident blew over, Yin Jiagan set about trying to right the ship of Taiwan's finance. The Japanese-issued Taiwan dollar was now all but worthless. The issuance of a new currency could solve the problem of hyperinflation, if done correctly. If done incorrectly, it could add to the confusion and worsen the situation even further. And remember, this was against the backdrop of the ROC government losing the civil war on the mainland. Yan Jiagan approached the problem carefully and deliberately. He asked Chiang Kai-shek to transfer to Taiwan 800,000 ounces of gold, as well as 10 million US dollars as reserves to back the new currency. Remarkably, Chiang Kai-shek agreed. He could easily have said no, considering he was still fighting the desperate fight on the mainland, which most at the time would have considered the priority. Then, Yin Jiagan shipped in 10,000 tons of grains to calm average consumers. He printed 200 million in his new currency, the new Taiwan dollar, and promised not to print any more. And again, quite remarkably, he ordered that the Chinese currency used on the mainland would not 
be convertible to the new Taiwan dollar. The Chinese currency was spiraling out of control and would have taken any Taiwanese currency with it, if convertible. Then, Yin Jiagan encouraged savings by offering consumers favorable terms for setting up savings accounts. In so doing, Yin Jiagan successfully stabilized the Taiwanese economy. When the government of the Republic of China fled the mainland and moved to Taiwan at the end of 1949, it was only able to do so. There only remained a Taiwan that it could go to because of Yin Jiagan. In 1950, Chiang Kai-shek made Yin Jiagan the ROC economic minister. Under his watch, the government introduced a series of economic reforms. First, Yin Jiagan introduced the modern system of budgeting. During the war, like I said, the ROC government spent money, like drunken sailors, just printing bills to pay for whatever urgently needed to be bought. Now, Yin Jiagan made it so that each year, the government had to submit a clear budget. Anything that's not in the spending bill was not funded and could not be paid for. Sounds obvious to us now. But at the time, this was a major innovation. Yin Jiagan was also responsible for handling some of the key economic reforms in 1950s Taiwan. The sale of public lands to farmers in 1951. The new policy of he who tills the land owns the land in 1953, gradually easing out the old Taiwanese system of indentured farmers working entire lifetimes for their landlords. After a stint as chair of the provincial government, Yin Jiagan returned to the finance portfolio in 1958. His two terms as finance chief added up to a full decade. In 1963, Yin Jiagan became the chief of the executive branch, effectively the prime minister within the ROC system of government. And in 1966, he became Chiang Kai-shek's vice president. During his term as VP, I think notably, at one point he met with Taiwanese independence activist Gu Kuanming. I consider this notable because the popular image of the Chiang Kai-shek years is that the ROC government was wholly hostile to Taiwanese independence activists. And it was hostile. Even so, there were nuances. The vice president could sit down with a leading independence activist and talk over their respective positions. Then, as I mentioned, Chiang Kai-shek died in 1975, passing the presidency onto Yin Jiagan. And Yan Jiagan in turn vacated the chair and passed the baton onto Jiang Xingguo in 1978. Yan Jiagan died on Christmas Eve 1993, aged 88. Like I said, he's often overlooked, even forgotten, in the history of Taiwan, being a kind of seat warmer president who basically bridged the interregnum between Chiang Kai shek and Jiang Jingguo. But people who knew him remembered him as a perfect gentleman, a man of tremendous intellect, 
and an official who always looked out for the public interest. Though mostly a footnote as president, his achievements as finance minister and in stabilizing the Taiwanese economy and introducing the new Taiwan dollar were what made Taiwan's subsequent development possible. His imposition of budget discipline at a time when people weren't used to the concept of a national budget must have meant pissing off a whole lot of special interests and even fellow officials. But Yan Jiagan was the sort of person who could make it happen. And make it happen, he did. On this podcast, we've previously talked about Sun Yunxuan and his colleague Li Guoding, both of whom laid the foundation of Taiwan's high-tech sector, including its now world-leading semiconductor industry. But neither Sun Yunxuan nor Li Guoding would have had anything to work with had Yan Jiagan not preceded them. A few weeks ago in December, some articles appeared in the Taiwanese press commemorating Yan Jiagan as it was the 30th anniversary of his passing. Hence this episode, in the spirit of belated commemoration. On that note, this has been MODG. Thank you for listening.